hi, I am Michael. I'm an improv artist by night, mental health survivor by day, pawn shop owner, gadget lover, and as always, very, very neurotic. I'm also a TV host and your host for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free mentorship help, anything from mental health to resume writing and whatever is in between, completely free and completely confidential. That's why we do this podcast for dweebsglobal.org. So please like or subscribe right now. Click that button. And um, here we go. I'm here today with Patrick Okubo. Patrick is a wine professional. He has been a certified wine educator since 2010 with the Society of Wine Educators and passed the Master Sommelier exam in 2011. Patrick is also a clarinetist with the, with the 111th Hawaii Army National Guard. That oh, sound about morning. right? Aloha. Good morning. He is coming live from Hawaii. <laughs> so it is 1 p.m. for me, but 8 a.m. For, for you. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, of course. Thanks for being on. So I'm going to start with my favorite subject, which is wine, which is why I'm tired today, because I don't know how to just have one glass. Is it possible to just have one glass? <laughs> there, yeah, there are a lot of people that, that do. When you work in a restaurant, um, yeah, you do find people who are just looking for that one glass to pair with the, their entree only. Yeah. Not, not for me, though. <laughs> I have the same problem as you. Yeah, I need to know the secret. It seems like one always leads to three. So it's, uh, yeah, you need to control that. I don't know how somebody can just sip the one glass for the whole entire meal. Yeah, I don't know. The, the only time I can do that is when I go to wine country and I'm, and I'm uh, driving. I'll, I'll spit out everything, no matter how expensive the wines. You know, go to Chateau Latour, it's $1,000 a bottle. And I'll spit out everything. And at, at the end of the day, I've probably consumed one glass from, throughout the entire day. That's the only time I can manage to do it. Well, I guess you kind of have to if you're going around <laughs> to test all day, to taste all day. So you still, do you still go around tasting for just the joy of it or for, for your work at all? Uh, it's, it's personal education. Yeah. You know, like when I, I go to Bordeaux, which is what, what's behind me. I go to Bordeaux quite often, at least once a year. My, uh, my wife's sister and her family live in Bordeaux. So we, we go out to visit the family, but I also go and visit chateaus when I'm there. Um, usually go to, to Napa two times a year or so. And then um, my wife's parents live in Portland. So we go out there three times a year and I visit wineries over there three times a year. So I go to wineries quite a bit and I love doing it. That's kind of what, what I like to do when I go traveling. Okay. I, I love wine, but I still don't know anything about it. I drink red wine at least a few nights a week. And as long as it's a fresh bottle that was opened that day, pretty much okay. I mean, there's some stuff I won't like so much, but when people never understand why I can't drink a bottle of wine that's been opened from the night before. Like I, I can just mm. taste that sour. And when you're at a restaurant and you're paying yeah, like 12 to $14 a glass, they should be opening a new bottle for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When did you first get in, into wines? Uh, so I, uh, after I graduated college, I graduated in a restaurant hotel management um, degree, I moved to Lanai, uh, which is a small island in the Hawaiian Islands. Only about okay. 2,000 people live there, and there's two major hotels, and I worked for the Menelipe Hotel. And um, it rebranded to a Four Seasons, and we rebranded in 2005. And a lot of people quit. There was a lot of hours rebranding, and I ended up being like the, the lone guy who was there permanently, and they said, oh, you want... You, you, we need you to take care of the wine list because you're the only guy who's going to be here in two months. Everyone else is just, we're borrowing them from another property. And so that's how I got, I got thrown into the position. Like I better, better learn something if I'm, if I'm going to be doing this. And so I started 
books. I started taking the, uh, the, the, the Court of Master Sommelier courses. And so that's where it started, 2005. Um, okay. Six years of really hard study, and then I passed the Master Sommelier exam in 2011. What is that exam like? <clears throat> like it, it can't be just multiple choice. <laughs> it's got to have some type of tasting to it, or no? Yeah, there's three components, and it's a, it's a theory exam, which is verbal, because realistically, if you're talking to somebody in the restaurant, you don't have a chance to go skip that, skip that, skip that, I'm going to come back to it, and later, uh, you also have to be able to hear it, and then, and then, uh, and, and answer, uh, so they could ask you something in the correct pronunciation of German, and you have to be able to recognize it, so that's why it's a verbal exam. Um, oh, interesting. So you're actually, you have to recognize words in different, you have to know different languages? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, okay. you don't have to be able to speak the language, but if you're, you know, if they say, what does Kutzefüllen um, mean? You need to know that it's a state bottled by the winery at the estate in Germany. Like you need to be able to recognize it and then know what it means. And then there's a blind tasting, which is three whites, three reds, and you have 25 minutes to describe the wine with the, uh, from the site to what it smells like through the tactile sensation of tannin, acid, alcohol, etc., and what grape it is, what region it came from, and then the vintage. <clears throat> um, and then there's a, a service exam where you open up champagne, you decant red wine, you pour wines by the glass, pour make make uh, mix mix cocktails, do some business calculations, um, and so that there, you have to pass all three of those portions to pass the exam. Oh, wow. So can you taste the wine and know where in the world it's from? Um, like how? Within, within, the, within the context of the exam, there's certain rules. So yeah. yes, like if you were to narrow it down, like these wines are in play. But it, you know, obviously, if you give me um, a really obscure region, it's not like, oh, I, got, I stumped them with the Bulgarian. <laughs> that's something that's not really on my, on my radar. It's not you know, something that we usually put in the exams. But you give me a Bordeaux. I can tell you like that's that's Bordeaux, that's left bank, and that's Cabernet Sauvignon, or it's right bank Malo. Um, you know, I should be able to I should be able to determine those things because those are um, more mainstream regions. Okay, and you can actually taste most of the ingredients in it. Like you fine tuned your your palate to really. A, there's a deductive way to do it. So yeah. yeah, it's it's about like what is it not? It can't be this or it can't be that. It can't be this because of these reasons, and you're just narrowing it down to maybe a two or three possibilities, then, then you take your gut, gut guess out of two or three possibilities. That's what you're supposed to do it. Okay. <laughs> That's it's just, I just can't imagine. I don't know. I, I guess I just have like the worst taste buds where I can't, I could never filter through it all. Um, did it take you a long time to get that right? Was that a, or was that something you just, you, you, you had pretty natural when you started? Um, I, I worked on it a lot. I worked at a restaurant called Formaggio. And it's in Honolulu, and it has a Cruvenet. Cruvenet system is one of those tap systems where nitrogen uh, goes through the system. And uh, when the wine gets dispensed, it replaces it with nitrogen. So then the nitrogen sinks to the bottom of the bottle, and it can last for two or three weeks. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> so I worked at a place that had that, had 40, 40 taps. And so I had 60 wines by the glass open at any given time. And I was able to taste a lot of wine when I, when I was there. And I was there for four years. So... Um, surprisingly, uh, you know, that, that, that was the, always the portion that I passed on the, you know, I passed that, that portion first. I didn't pass the other two portions the first time. It Partly, sounds like people get hung up on the, on the blind tasting. Right. That's what I would think would be the hardest because that's, yeah. but you know, working at a place where you have 60 wines by the glass certainly helps. 
<laughs> I guess, I guess so. God, I still could not imagine it. Um, do you have, um, is how much, how much of it is opinion and how much of it is, I guess, describing what the wine actually is? Cause there is a lot of opinion that goes into. Yeah. Wine yeah. There's, there's descriptors like the type of fruit and like, you know, is it, is it red cherry or strawberry or is it blueberry and is it dried or stewed? There's that part of it, but it comes down to, can you take that information and come down to what is the grape? What is the region? What, what country is it? You know, that, that's what's what really what it comes down to. Okay. You're a teacher now. Do people take your class that they can become sommeliers or just that? That's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. You know, um, but, you know, when I, when I say wine educator, it, it, it's very, it, you know, it, it, there's different levels to it. So there is that teaching people to pass a certification. And then there's also um, <clears throat> internally with our, with our team, I work for a distributor, how to how to sell wine and then selling wine and knowing about wine is very different. Like to pass an exam, you need to know like these are the grapes in the region and mineral alcohol, mineral aging time and all that. When you're selling wine, I'm telling a story. And it has, sometimes it has nothing to do with wine whatsoever. It's, you know, this guy, this guy uh, used to work at, um, at Disney, at, uh, you know, I'm talking about Ponzi, for example, in, in Oregon. He used to work at Disney as an engineer. He created a lot of the rides back in the 60s and which made Disneyland super popular. And then he uh, moved to Oregon and he started this tiny little winery called Ponzi uh, with him and his daughter. He sent his daughter to winemaking school to be the winemaker. And he really struggled because he didn't have a lot of money. He was teaching engineering on the side. And then now to this day, Ponzi is one of the most iconic wines. So it's about telling a story about it. I didn't tell you anything about the wine and tell you how right. to, or any of the rules or where it came from, but you're just telling this story and people get enchanted by the story. Like, oh, I, I didn't know that about Ponzi. I've heard the name and that's, that's a cool story. And then they, they want to drink the wine. Right. No, it's a, I, I tell it's, it's number one thing with like marketing your business, you know, to, to have a story behind the business. So, you know, I hear that all the time. I've never really thought about that with wines, but I, it makes sense to be with everything. <laughs> so what's one of the more fascinating stories that you have told or know about with wine in regards to wine or winery? Oh man, it's a tough it's, one. It's ever, ever changing. Ever, ever yeah. changing. Um, there's some of the top chateaus like Chateau Latour and um, Quillon Sejour, uh, Chateau Margaux, and they were all owned by the same guy way back when in the 18th century. And then they got, they got separated. Uh, but Kalon Sejour was his favorite. That was, that was his last name, Nicholas Anders de Sejour. And then, uh, so that was his favorite. So that's why there's a heart on top of the label because that's where his heart died. Even though the others were, the others were more expensive, they were better wines. Um, so that's my selling point for selling Kalon Sejour. Gotcha. That brings, it, brings an emotion to it. Um, <laughs> How often is it is is it true that like more expensive wines are going to be better tasting than the less expensive wines? Oh, it's it's all about the person who's drinking it. So if you're if you have a certain taste, and I give you something that's completely different, like you're used to drinking um, California Napa Cabernet, and I give you a Cabernet that comes from France and it's from the 1980s, you're probably not going to like it because it's it's completely different, even though they're the same. Wow. Um, the fruit's going to be dried out, stewed out. Um, you're not going to have that juicy richness that you would get out of a Napa cabin. Um, if you like Napa cab and you find another Napa cab that's similar in a lot of ways, you, you're probably going to like it. Um, it's 
if you go with like different price point, like you're used to drinking a $100 Napa cab and all of a sudden I give you a $30 Napa cab, you might feel that it's lacking in, in some way. Gotcha, gotcha. It's a, yeah, I, I just don't have the palates. I never, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of my 12, $14 bottles of wine. And I'm, I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> That's great because I, you know, I spend so much money on wine. I wish I could just go back to like appreciating those type of wines more. Yeah. <laughs> people you, ask me like, how do I, how can, how can I appreciate more expensive wines? I'm like, why do you want to appreciate more expensive wines? Pay for more expensive wines. <laughs> That's what you have to have now. <laughs> do, you, do you bring your own wine when you go to people's houses? Cause you're afraid it's not going <laughs> to, it's not going <laughs> to your palate. <laughs> D- depends on whose house. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I have, I have a friend of mine that comes over and I can never pick the right wine for her. So she always brings a bottle or two. <laughs> People are picking. Yeah, take, take a picture of the, the label of, of something that she likes and then go to the, your, your local wine shop and go, can I get something that's like this or similar? Oh, that's a good idea. That's a really <laughs> good idea. I don't, don't know why I didn't think of that. It, it's amazing how knowledgeable some of the people are at some of the wine shops around here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been doing that pretty much since your 20s, you said, right? Or since 2005. So Yeah, so I for- was 20 when I kind of started in the wine wine career okay it's neat that that's what you fell into it wasn't even something you were going after yeah I thought I was going to be a, a hotel manager all my life <laughs> yeah and it ended up changing gotcha so then you're also a clarinetist which I have to yeah. say clarinet was the instrument I played in high school for about oh, a year right. and a half probably like half of the Americans though I mean we all get assigned an instrument and you know, I remember my read. I, I I was not, I'm not good with, I'm not a good musician at all. <laughs> Pretty bad, but I remember my clarinet. So when did you start, when did you start playing clarinet? I started when I was 13 in, no, no, uh, 12. No, I was, no, sorry, I was, I was fifth grade. So I was fifth grade, 10, 10, 10 or 11. Okay, were you assigned it like I First was? Started, yeah. You were assigned it, okay, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think I chose it. Mm-hmm. That was it. Okay, but you stuck with it, which is a rarity. <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was. I guess I was okay at it. So when I got to to middle school, and um, you know, you signed up for your instrument, they just kept me on that because, like, you know, I was, I was, I was already playing it. Right. <laughs> so when did you when did you join the National Guard, and did you join it to be in the band? Was that your yeah, I, I joined in, in high school, which is why I'm, I, I got to retire last year. I'm relatively young. I got to retire at 38 because wow. I joined when I was 17. Um, so, I, you know, my, my uh, music career has, has, a, has been longer than my wine career, obviously, because I couldn't get into the wine career until, until I was 21. Right. Um, but yeah, I've been playing with, I started playing with them when I, you know, 2000. Um, and, you know, it's, it's part of the army, so... It's a job in the army, which is a surprise to people because um, they're like, I didn't know that the, that the military had a band, but it's one of the oldest, oldest careers in the army. I mean, wow. you look back at, <clears throat> at, the, at the American Revolution and then the, they, they, they line up and fight each other and there's the, the fife, the fife and, the, and the drummer who are right up online with them, providing motivation for everybody to keep charging. So okay. it's been a job in, in the army, a very unsafe job. <laughs> I was going to ask because I never really understood what the what the purpose of it, especially on the front lines of like a war. But I guess it it does kind of you pumps you up. You get music, it pumps you up. Yeah. So to this day, uh, still, that's what the army band or any military band does. 
It's to provide motivation, morale, welfare uh, for the troops. So they'll they'll send bands over to to wherever the, you know the, the war is, and they'll go and perform. You know the, at the different fobs. Fobs are four op operating bases, so they perform at different fobs. It's a very dangerous job because you don't stay at one fob. You go traveling from different you know fob to fob, and that's where you get you know that's where it's dangerous. That's where you can get picked off because they go and put you in a, a truck convoy, and they don't know that it's the band in there. They think that you know could the general could be in that in that in that convoy. So they're gonna they're gonna try and pick it off, right? Right. So it can be a very dangerous job. Yeah, I, luckily I haven't I haven't had to go, but um, the you know people the people that have it's it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, if they knew the band was in there, they might even be more apt to attack because they might think that the band isn't as good at fighting back. <laughs> so they might. <laughs> is there is there a lot of actual training? A lot of actual army training that goes. Yeah, you it? go through the same the same army training that everyone else goes through. You go through basic training. Okay go through an advanced individual training, which, <clears throat> which is a music school, but in a very army regimented way. Uh, your same physical training uh, tests, um, you go through soldier common training tasks, um, everything is the same, all the training is the same. Okay, and you're kind of there. I mean, you could be, you could be like, you could have been pulled up to go to, to go to fight. I mean, you were- Absolutely. Right, so that, that had to have always been kind of hanging over you, especially when we were going through the Iraq war and other things. Yeah, 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 I, jo I joined in, you know, 1999, 2000, around that time, and then 9-11 happened, and right. that was, then it was like, not quite as, didn't feel as, as, as safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, that was uh, not the best timing, I guess, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a rough timing to have joined, because you were also mm -hmm. young, you were the prime age, so if they had brought you up, you were, you were primed for it. Yeah. Um, and when you joined the uh, the National Guard, I was reading the story that you wrote. You didn't know what a B major scale was. So did you not? I didn't know what any scale was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know any scales. So I went I went there because my my older sister was dating somebody who was in the band. And so I, she, she goes, oh, come come with me. Come check out this band. And so I, I show up and I thought I was just going to play music. I was going to sit in and, and play some music with them. <clears throat> and so I'm playing music with them. And then the the commander who's the band director he uh he goes oh so you, are you gonna audition tonight and i i, I wasn't planning on auditioning I, I don't know what's on the audition or I, I i didn't prepare anything he goes well um do you have any did you bring any music you need to play a, a couple of uh, prepared pieces um there's going to be a couple of scales and then there's uh, some some sight reading and i'm like okay i'll, I'll give, give it a shot and see what's like and then maybe i can prepare better next time but i didn't bring any music so I, I had a couple of pieces memorized because I was playing a, a featured solo with with my high school band, and I memorized pieces so I wouldn't have have to have the music in front of me on on stage, and so I just played played them from memory, and then uh, and then he goes okay now play let's uh, play some scales and to me like a scale is just like a regular C major scale you go C up to C and come back down and there's no flats or naturals, it's kind of the very basic basic scale but. Every, there's all these different scales depending on what note you start off with they will they will be very different and they'll have flats and sharps and then there's also minor scales which are a different um a different relation every note is is they sound different okay. um, and so i was completely caught off guard he, he asked me to play the scales and he and i just gave him this blank look and he goes okay b major scale starts on b and so i start i played b and I went up and down, played no nat no no flats, no sharps, played all naturals. 
And that's not any, that's, there's not, that's not any scale whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> have a straight face, you didn't laugh. Right. I, I thought, oh, okay, maybe, maybe that was correct. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Play some minors. <laughs> and then he, he goes, you know, play, <clears throat> play uh, whatever minor scale. And I give him, and he goes, it starts on whatever letter, right? So he goes, you know, play a, um, F minor scale. And I give him a blank look. He goes, it starts on F. <clears throat> and I just played up and down, all naturals. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but he's not laughing. He's not saying good job or anything. So I, I, I don't know where I'm at here. <laughs> So, um, did, so did yeah, you make it? Yeah, did, did he accept you that time, or did you have to come back after you learned your scales? <laughs> so I, I actually passed the audition. So apparently, the 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 grading on it is ten percent is the scales that that's how it's weighted, and then the <laughs> other is the other ninety percent. So even though I completely blew it on the scales, I, I still managed to pass the audition. And <laughs> after after I got accepted, he he said, <clears throat> "I'm going to require you to take lessons, private lessons, for the next year and learn your scales." So that's all I did with at lessons for the next year was just play scales. And then now it's to, to the point where I can I warm up with the scales. I play all the scales up and down uh, two octaves and I can do it within five minutes and it's not a problem. But when I tell when I tell other musicians that that's what I did on the edition, they're like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe it. You must have been really good at the other parts. And you weren't even... I think, you, I think, I think having the, the pieces memorized uh, really, really spoke spoke a lot and you probably didn't have time to get nervous because you didn't even know you were auditioning so it was uh <laughs> you seem to fall into things is this a theme in your life or just uh... it, it is it is I'm, I'm very fortunate you know like things kind of just fall on my lap that's what that's what my mom says you like you know good things happen to you and and you just kind of fall into it like i'm i'm you know i i just like went to a wine dinner that i was um hosting and that's how i met my wife um, I didn't, I didn't have to pursue somebody, you know, and, and, and try really hard. Just, it was just kind of natural. She was there. I started talking to her because a, a, fr a friend of a friend introduced me to her. And now I have, you know, a great life living with her. Um, you know, it's not something that I really had to set my eyes on and, and work very hard for it. Just kind of, she just kind of happened naturally. Right. And both, both of your careers are things that you enjoy. So that's also a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you're retired, so you don't play the clarinet with the with the National Guard anymore? No, not not anymore. I've been retired. <clears throat> I've been retired for a year, but it's been almost two years since I played a, an actual gig. Right. That's because of COVID, because playing a wind instrument became super illegal. Gotcha. Are you missing are you missing the live <laughs> performance aspect of your life? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But you know that uh, I don't I don't uh, enjoy the other part of it. But being part of being in the National Guard is you're part of the, the 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 state as well. You fall under the governor, so every little state emergency you get put on alert for. Where it's like be ready to go, have your go bag ready in 48 hours. You may have to be called up. So that's every hurricane. That's every lava flow. That's every protest on the top of Mauna Kea because of the telescope. That's the uh, January 6th uh, insurrection, you know, every, everything that happens, you get put on alert. Right. And that's the part that gets tiring because it's not like uh, they'll just go, okay, that, you know, we're not, we're not going, they don't tell you like, oh, you stand down, we're not going because things like the Mauna Kea telescope that, that lasted for months. So we were on alert for months that you could go. Right. Right. That's wild. People, I never really thought about that and how hard it must be to really have another job, full-time job when you don't know 
the business you're working for doesn't know when you're gonna have to leave. You don't know when you're gonna have to leave. Oh. Yeah, my, my my current job, like there's a lot of, well, before there was a lot of traveling to neighbor, to neighbor islands or, or up to wine country. And so it's like, okay, you're telling me to be ready to go. That means I cancel these these trips. Like, I, I don't know, like like you gotta, I, I, want, I needed more clear direction on, on some of those things. So retiring fits my schedule better. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, to, to juggle those things. Makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you for serving for the amount of time you did. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, enjoy, I, I did enjoy it though. I, mean, I, I do miss playing music. I, I do miss, I do miss all the army trainings, all, all the army schools and, and setting up jobs and, and things like that. I, I, I miss all that. I just right. don't being, being on call. <laughs> don't like. That is understandable. And I'm sure the camaraderie and, and the people you met and um, just the, the mind training you get from that's gotta be unbelievable. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, you're currently an educator, so where do you where do you do you teach out of somewhere that so many people can find you? Or yeah, like it's mostly with um, you know internal with you know with our sales team, okay. external with uh, wine buyers. So uh, like doing edu- uh, staff staff trainings at restaurants, and then consumer events are also education as well. So I do wine dinners. Right now, I'm not doing a ton of wine dinners because you can't fill up the room. But um, you know, normally I'm doing education on those three different levels, and that keeps me pretty busy. Right now, it's a lot of virtual training on, through Zoom or MS Teams. Mm-hmm. People order their wines, taste them in front of you, or is it? A- yeah, like uh, I, I just did some <clears throat> yesterday. I, I did all day doing um, like uh, pre pre sale barrel samples. The winery sent me some pre like um, pre mature bottles where they pulled it out about early, they bottled them up, and then I sent them to, to neighbor islands. So rather than travel to Kauai, I just shipped them the bottles, and then when they opened it in front of me on Zoom, then I talk, talked about them. Okay. And it worked just as efficiently as me flying over to do it. <laughs> you should have like a YouTube channel where you teach people all about wines and you have a good presence. <laughs> you're, you're relaxing. <laughs> but thank, thanks, thanks again for being, thanks again for being here with us. Um, again, this has been Patrick. Super interesting, clarinetist. Makes me want to pick up my clarinet from high school, but I wouldn't even know how to, would have no idea how to blow into that thing. But um, thanks again. This is a Dweebs Global production. That's why we do this podcast. They give free mentorship help uh, around the world, anywhere, every language, anything from resume writing to mental health. And again, free and confidential, dweebsglobal.org. Click like, click subscribe, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.